0: If you haven't already, please turn in your Bibles there to Psalm 16. As we're making our way through this psalm here and reading just a minute from now, I want you to be looking for what I want to call the stepping stones to joy. The stepping stones to joy. The very end of this text, you see in verse 11, David say, You, speaking of Yahweh... You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for evermore. Here's this pathway to life, which is fullness of joy, which is the pleasures of God being at his right hand. That's what we want to pursue this morning in Psalm 16. So be looking for the stepping stones to joy as we commit our Attention to Psalm 16 before we pray, before we read, I should say, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we can't understand what it is you would have us to know this morning if you don't send the Spirit. No human intellect, no instinct or human intuition can discern the things of God. You alone are the illuminator and the interpreter of your word. And so we come humbly asking you, with our palms raised as beggars, would you give to us the word of life? Would you come through the power of the Spirit now and deliver the richness through David, both your psalmist and in some way prophet today? Come and speak through him into our hearts Though thousands of years removed, though dead he be, we know alive his soul in righteousness in your presence. By the Spirit today, speak through these his words and make them live in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I was catching up on some social media right before the turn of the year, and I ran across a post by Dr. Don Whitney. Some of you will know Dr. Whitney for his writings. He wrote a wonderful book entitled The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. Another one entitled, Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. If you've not read any of Dr. Whitney's works, I commend them to you. You'll benefit from them. Uh, it was a post where he offered ten questions to begin the new year. I really couldn't get past number two. Number two in the ten questions to begin the new year was, What humanly impossible thing? will you ask God for this year? Ponder that for a minute. What humanly impossible thing will you ask God for this year? I don't know what that may mean in your life. Personally, I don't know all of what that may mean for the life of this congregation. Obviously, you'll be on the hunt for a new minister going into this year that may feel humanly impossible from where you are now. The Lord is fully capable and will provide for you as people. But personally, what would it mean for you to ask a humanly impossible thing of the Lord this year? I have to believe that maybe for some of you it would be to restore my joy in the Lord some of you have come through incredible tragedies and trials deep and profound traumas and you have dipped into melancholy and now despair and the idea that as you look to the new year you would have hope for joy just seems naive and foolish Maybe you're at the point where you've so long hoped for it that you've become cynical. God will never answer that prayer to give me joy. Well, I'm here to tell you He's here to give you His joy. He wants to speak to you the riches of this joy today. He wants to show you the stepping stones of faith that will lead you to fullness of joy. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, that's the end for which he has made you. He will not stop short of giving you fullness of joy. Whether that comes in this moment or in 2024 or for sure in eternity, he will give you fullness of joy. But what would it be like to experience it this year? What would it be like to see the needle move in the joy quotient of your life. I want to look with you at eight stepping stones that I see in Psalm 16 for increasing your joy in the Lord and moving you towards fullness of joy. And if your hearts get to beat when you heard eight, I promise it won't take as long as it sounds. <laughs> I want to start with number one. A Christian's joy is found first and foremost in God himself. A Christian's joy is found first and foremost in God himself. Look at the way David says it there in Psalm 16 verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. It is clear here that David is in a situation, a circumstance that is unsavorable, not a place that he would have chosen. You don't begin a prayer, preserve me, if you're not concerned that you won't be preserved. Is is this a moment in David's life where Saul is after him and he is in the cave of Adullam? Is he he hath Absalom, his son, who's now mounted a coup, breathing down his neck? We don't know the circumstances of what David is in. It could be any of those things or any any number of other things in David's life. But we know he's in a place where he needs God's protection. In you I take refuge. Preserve me. I want you to know that when you're under threat, when you're under anxieties, if you're in, in fear, maybe this year will be a significant year of transition in your workplace. You've got insurmountable challenges in your marriage and in your your family. You've got health concerns. And you've got a dreaded doctor's visit in a matter of weeks. No matter what fear or threat or anxiety looms for you in 2024, I want you to know there's a tendency in our lives to look to everywhere before we look to the Lord. We want to exhaust every effort... In the things of the world and by last resort say, fine, I'll go to the Lord. This is where David starts, you see. Could it be that your joy is in low ebb because you rarely spend time pursuing the Lord? You talk about it, you think about it. But truth be told, if your days and times and energies were known, your time with the Lord is little to none. A Christian's joy is found first and foremost in God Himself. And when we go to God, notice how we go. We go acknowledging Him to be our Lord. Our Lord. It's an unusual construction, actually, in the Hebrew there in verse 2. I say to my Lord, or I say, excuse me, to the Lord, you are my Lord. You'll notice in your translation how Lord is capitalized in the first instance and not in the second instance, at least the totality of capitalization is not there, Whenever you see the capitalization of Lord in the Old Testament, you're probably aware that that's the covenant name of God. It's Yahweh. It's the name that was given to Moses on the side of Mount Horeb at the burning bush. I am that I am. This is what David is saying here. I say to the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, I say to you, you are my Lord. I know that you rule over my 2024. All my days and times are in your hand. You are my sovereign as I enter into 2024. David says, You are my Lord. You are the one who runs my life. All of my life is lived in submission to you. It's ironic, isn't it? Because we don't think of joy coming from this place, we don't think of joy coming from a place of submission. What we think of joy coming from when we're in control, when we, we're calling the shots, when we control the, the variables, that's when we'll, we'll gain joy. But, but notice, David recognizes that our, our joy, the stepping stone to joy, is recognizing that first and foremost, we are in submission to the sovereign Lord of the universe. And it's because he's designed us as creatures, We're not designed for Lord-like joy. We're designed for creature joy. To be found in the Lord. Our, Our joy is in the Lord, you see. Our joy is not in trying to be the Lord. It's fundamentally different. And so when we begin to find that our benevolent creator and redeemer loves us and rules over us, and we submit ourselves to Him, we begin to find that the good news on the way to joy is that we're not in control. But that our sovereign God who loves us and redeems us is in control. And we can face all of the challenges of this year and the life to come by submitting them to the sovereign Lord who is my Lord. Christian's joy is found, isn't it, first and foremost in God himself and in submission to him. But see, secondly, Christian's joy is found in tracing everything good back to God. Tracing everything good back to God. Do you want to increase your joy in the Lord? trace all of the good things that he has done in your life back to him. As the source, where do I see that? Well, notice at the end of verse two that that line. It's a little confusing, a little puzzling. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. Now, I hope there's something in you that wants to object slightly to David. Something in you that says, "My family's good. That's a good thing." And so to say I have no good apart from you, that, that seems un- unusual. My, my, my job is, a, is, is good. It's a good, it's a good job. I have a, I have a home, and that's good. That's a blessing from, from the Lord. And so I hope something of you says, are we really to take no delight in the good things which we've been given in this life? And that's not what David is saying at all we could translate it in the Hebrew, I have no good separated out from you. Separated out from you. Very often, where we go wrong in the stepping stones to fullness of Christian joy is the fact that we seek good things as an end in of themselves rather than tracing them up to the source of all goodness. We try to take the things of this world that are good, that are meant to induce joy and delight, but we sever them from Him who is the blesser of all of these good things and who has given them from His righteous right hand. C.S. Lewis, years ago, wrote a, a piece entitled Meditation in a Toolshed. Some of you may have read it. He walks into a dark a tool shed, a run-down a tool shed, and there's a hole in the, the roof, a little small hole, and there's a beam of sunshine that's coming through, and he sees this beam of sunshine. There's not enough light to actually help see anything in the, the tool shed, but he sees you know the dust particles kind of, kind of falling down through the, through the light, and he see, sees the light, and then he walks up to the light, and he looks at the light, and he lets you, you've probably done this, where you see the beam of light sun kind of come in and hit his, hit his eye. And as he looks out the little hole, he sees this glorious sky, and he sees the trees and and the leaves flapping in the the wind. And, And he says it's a very different experience looking at the light than looking along the light to its source. It's a very different experience. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, every gift that God gives us, we trace it back up to the giver of that gift. And we find that our joy in the thing itself increases because we've connected it to him and also parameters that thing so that it doesn't become a good separated out from him and thus woos our heart idolatrously away from the Lord. Which is such the temptation, isn't it? A Christian's joy is found in God himself. A Christian's joy It's found in tracing all good things to God. A Christian's joy, number three, is found by taking delight in God's people. Notice the way that he puts it there in verse three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. As I was reflecting again on that text just yesterday, I heard an echo of the Apostle Paul's prayers, which are just glorious to read and study on your own to reflect on the petitions of the Apostle Paul's prayers that are largely noted at the beginning of each of his epistles. And I started seeing a theme just yesterday again in Ephesians and Colossians, where Paul tells us that we should pray for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he rejoices in our love for all the saints. Both of those things. He prays for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our love for all the saints. And he pairs together Christ and his church. Do you know when you grow in love for the Lord... You grow in love for the things that the Lord loves. And the Lord loves nothing more than his people. He delights in his people. Do you know that? We're we're called his treasured possession. He's he's robed us in the glory of his righteousness. He's fashioning us as as his bride of whom he has united himself to. For, for all eternity, he has pledged his trough, so to speak, to us. David tells us if we're going to experience an increase in joy in this life, it's not just going to be vertical in our relationship with the Lord. Yes, it's foundational. It starts there. You can't go anywhere else but there. But it spills over into love for what he loves, primarily his people. You know, we live in a time where a wedge is often put between love of God and love of His people. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say, Yeah, I like Jesus. I'm for Jesus. I'm not against the church, however. Oh, no, that's a different story. I don't care much for the, the church. I love Jesus, but I don't care much for the, the church. When someone, when someone says that, no, there's probably a story there. There may be an unresolved conflict, there may be a long um, hurt, there's probably some listening, some questioning that we should, should do, some compassion probably needs to be elicited, but by God's grace, a little correction needs to be levied, because the more that we grow in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, how will we not grow in love for Christ's bride, His church? Notice how David is, he speaks about Christ's church here. He doesn't speak of them as just people, God's people. He speaks of them as saints, holy ones. He speaks of them as the majestic or the excellent ones. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? We'd almost be we would be bashful to say that about ourselves as the church. As as he speaks about God's people, specifically Israel in the context of Psalm 16 by derivative, uh, the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament age. As he speaks those words of us, I want you to see that David is looking at God's people through God's eyes. He's not just saying, you know, those people at Christ Covenant in, in Greensboro, well, some of them, the ones I like, the ones who root for the same team, the, the ones who vocationally overlap with me, our children are sort of in the same ages and stages. And, and you know, I like some of the people at, at Greensboro, and it sounds, it sounds like an affinity group. And it sounds like a worldly community when we say that. You know, the world does that all the time. What makes the church the church? Is the fact that we see each other and delight in each other as God has described us. And we see each other through the eyes of which God sees us. Do you know the people in whom are sitting to your left and your right have been bought by the blood of Jesus? They have been set apart in righteousness. They have never dying souls. God has placed them as his beloved bride in this generation alongside you. How would your view of them change if you saw them that way? What a wonderful word that David gives us here. That as we delight in the church of God, when we delight in God's people, we look at them through God's lens. Well, yes, last Sunday, actually, when I was uh, greeting folks at the end of the the service at Cornerstone, I met someone from Mississippi, and and I'm from Mississippi. And if you meet someone from Mississippi, and you're from Mississippi, you know what you do. Do you know so-and-so? That's what you do. And strangely, you always do. You always do. And you trace the lineage and you find out that you're related by the end of the conversation. (laughs) This person had ended up at our congregation because they had attended for years at First President Jackson. And and as they came to me, they said, you know, I bet you're a friend of so-and-so's. And And, and my my return to them was, well, if you're a friend of so-and-so's, then you're a friend of mine. You ever had someone say that to you? Well, if you're a friend of so-and-so, then you're you're a friend of mine. I want you to think about that, about those who are around you. And I want you to think of it in this way. If they're a friend of God's, then they're a friend of yours. If they're a friend of God's, they're a friend of yours. And you've got all eternity with them. Might as well start getting to know them now. Increase your joy this year by delighting in God first and foremost. By delighting in the good things which God gives, not apart from him, but in him. Delight in the people of God this year. And fourthly, you're going to have to go to battle. A Christian's joy is found in resisting idolatry. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply... Not joy sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply their drink offerings of blood notice david's first person i will not pour out or take their names on my lips a christian's joy is found in resisting idolatry we hinted at this just a little bit earlier when we ever we really separate something good out from god it has a tendency to become an idol in our lives didn't we see that with israel over and over again whether it's uh, the lord warns them in deuteronomy once you cross over the jordan river and enter into this land and you reap the benefits of vineyards you did not plant And you dwell in houses that you did not build. And you realize the glory of this land flowing with milk and honey. Beware lest you forget me. The good gifts of God make for terrible gods. They're wonderful gifts but they're terrible gods. They'll multiply your sorrows. Could it be that one of the reasons that you have lost your joy in the Christian life and it seems like a humanly impossible thing to ask God for is that your heart has just been broken a thousand times by idols. All of the expectations you've had for how your life is going to turn out, all of the ways in which you've tried to wrench control out of God's hands and He's given you things you did not want and things that you've dreamed for did not come about and though you're at worship, There's a rebellious and stubborn heart deep inside that wishes you were king. And the reason your sorrows have multiplied has not been because your life is so terrible. It's because you've tried to serve idols and they've broken your heart over and over again. A Christian's joy is found in actively resisting idolatry. Listen, if we're going to stand... Firm in our cultural moment in which the Lord has placed us, this is not going to be a popular message. You see this part. We're told there's a million ways up the mountain, right? There's a million ways to be saved. I mean, you could choose Buddha, you can choose Allah, you can choose Jesus, you can you can choose the most well known of all North American um, religious instincts, and that is what I call bootstrapism. I'm going to do it myself with my own energy and strength. And all of those only multiply your sorrows. Notice David's commitment. I will not pour out offerings to idols. I will not name them on my lips. Your joy is protected when you resist idolatry. And it grows. Your joy grows because it leads you unto Christ. I want you to see, fifthly, though, that Christian joy is found in the beauty of God's providence. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Oh, how different this look is than the, the sort of heartbroken, cynical look at our lives where things have not turned out as we wished. Notice David here, who we believe is in calamity, who's under trial, can say, the Lord is my chosen portion. My lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. This is a beautiful inheritance to me. David is overflowing here and he's using the language of, well, the language that we see in Joshua. You remember when the people of Israel cross over the Jordan River. And they begin, you know, through Jericho and through the mishap at Ai and then all of the other battles to the latter half of the book of Joshua. What is it? You remember what's in the latter half of the book of Joshua? Well, it's a lot of surveying. It's a lot of boundary markers. It's a lot of lines. It's a lot of like, hey, this is Manasseh's and this is Naphtali's and this is, you know, it's, it's all of the tribes and all of their allotments. David is reflecting upon all of it. And he says, as I look over the history of redemption. And the faithfulness of your promises to your people. I say to myself, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. The Lord is the one who holds my, my lot. It is a beautiful inheritance to me. Every aspect of David's life you see. He's, he's having it ordered and overseen by the divine surveyor. The one who has plotted out his existence, and it is pleasant in his eyes. You know, it requires an eye of faith to say that. We had a wonderful gift given to our family somewhat surprisingly during the year 2020. We have five beautiful children from age 20 all the way to age three. Yes, it's a circus. In my home. There's a bit of a gap between number nine, the one who's nine and the one who's three. A beautiful surprise from the Lord. And when we received news frighteningly of her not having good health in womb, it shook us as a couple. a 90 percent chance that she would be Down syndrome. Possible heart issues, possible lung issues. Hmm. Is this a pleasant line? Is my inheritance beautiful to me? God in His kindness has brought that little young lady into our lives. Her name is Lila. Lila started kindergarten this week. And it is beautiful to me through the eye of faith. Through the eye of faith. I have seen that young lady tenderize my other children like none of the other kids could have ever done. I have seen that young lady give me humility. And there's a lot more still to come. It is beautiful to me. And it is very different than planned. David sees this with an eye of faith, you see. His joy is increased. The stepping stone towards fullness of joy is increased. Because it's there where he sees the beauty of God's providence. God ordains what is right. And he makes no mistakes. Sixthly Christian joy is found in the counsel of God's precepts. Look, look at this in verse 7, the counsel of God's precepts. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me. He blesses the Lord who gives counsel, the Lord instructs him. The Lord is his teacher, his schoolmaster. The Lord is his trainer, his guide and his his shepherd. Reminds me of Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you want your joy to be increased this year? Let God be your chief counselor. Let his word be to you your chief executive counsel. And not that guru on the podcast that you're prone to listening to. Not that self-help book at Barnes & Noble. Let let the Lord be your counselor. Let him be the instructor of your heart. Notice how David says, even in the night the Lord teaches me. God's school is always in session. His word is always speaking. You know the sleepless nights? You have them. Your mind is running, fearful and anxiety about things. You know that's probably where David was. You know, if he has Saul chasing him, he's got to sleep with one eye open, at least. And and as he does so, uh, pondering on his bed, we're told that he remembers the Lord. And the Lord speaks to him and counsels him in the watches of the night. Your lamp is your word. It's a light unto our feet. It's a light unto our way. And seventh, Christian joy is found in the confidence of God's presence. Notice what he says in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. It's the presence of the Lord that gives David the confidence to be able to say, I will not be shaken. What's the principle here? Well, the principle is this. Throughout Psalm 16, we've been seeing David draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord. And as you draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord, you know what happens? Your confidence in the Lord is built. Your confidence in the Lord is built. Now, why is that the case? Because you've gotten to know him. You've gotten to know him. You have a vital, deep, and intimate relationship with him. You've you've been in his word. You've watched his providence. You've been tracing all good things to him. You've been focused on him. How would you not have confidence in him? That's the spirit of the text. And and that's why you see David in verse 9 say, Therefore my heart is glad. Do you see him exult? He's now brimming, you see. He's bubbling now over with, with joy. He's given the stepping stones We've got through seven stepping stones. We're right here at the, the end for number, number eight, and he's already brimming. He's already springing up with joy. His heart rejoices. And here's what he says in verse 10 For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption. Again, this confirms, doesn't it, that David is in trouble. And, and the fear that he would abandon his soul to the place of the dead, to hell even. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. I can be certain of that, David. David has confidence in the Lord. But then look at this, this is just unusual. He says, or let your holy one see corruption. He may have gone a little far here. I mean, Peter tells us in, in Acts 2, quoting from Psalm 16, that David actually died. I mean, he says it in verse 29. You could check me on this. This is Peter. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Let's look back. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It seems as if David saw corruption, as best as we can tell. What's happening? Well, interestingly, if you were to look through all of Psalm 16, it's actually written in the first person. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, I have no good apart from you. The saints in the land are those in whom all my delight is found. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, it says. And my whole being rejoices. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your third person, holy one, see corruption. There's a change. And this is where in the prayer earlier I said to you, not only is David here a psalmist, but he's a a prophet here. For for David is seeing not his own physical lack of corruption, he's seeing his greater son. He's seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seeing the Messiah in whom the Lord has promised to sin. That one is the Holy One in whom there will be no corruption. And as if we needed to see this, Peter declares that very piece in that same sermon. He says, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that one of his descendants would sit on the throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was not abandoned to Sheol, nor did his flesh see corruption. Oh, that leads us to this last step, doesn't it? Christian joy is found in the victory of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the reality is, my friends, you could, 2024 could be the best year of your life. Every single thing that you have dreamed comes true. You, you win you know, you, you get the job, you win the lottery. Don't buy a lottery ticket, but you, you win you, you win the lottery and and you get the girl and and you graduate from the school and, and all of the things, like all of the things happen in, in 2024. Or it could be the worst year of your entire life. Like all the wheels fall off at every front. And ultimately before the end of this year, it's possible that maybe some in this room would breathe there at last. Whether this turns out to be the best year of your life or the worst year of your life, what Psalm 16 is teaching us is that through the Lord Jesus Christ and His victory, what matters is not just this year of your life, but the eternity that's been secured for you in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the day that Jesus is laboring for. You know, we often very short-sighted in the way that we think and approach life. We're going to do this and that. But are we living by the light of eternity? That when we close our eyes in death here, whether it's in 2024 or some future year, will we wake up with the visage of the Lord Jesus Christ before us? And will we hear from His lips? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that is full of joy, which is your master's. What is your only comfort in life and in death? You know this, right? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's your vision. That's your vision for this year and next year and the year after that. Because that is the vision that encompasses the entire eternity that Jesus has won for you by his grace. That you belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that more of that belonging would be true of each of our lives as we live this year taking each of the stepping stones on the way to fullness of joy. For it is that joy that is eternally yours if you're in Christ Jesus. Father in heaven, we pray that the joy that is ours already in Christ Would be ours increasingly inexperienced throughout this year, not for human reasons, or for fleshly reasons, but for spiritual and gospel reasons. Father, it might be that this year, great trials and sufferings are brought into some of our lives because you so you're so committed to weaning us away from the affections of this life and from circumstantial joys that will never last in order to place our affections on you and upon the joy that will never end. Lord, we will look for that this year. Would you, by the pacing of the Holy Spirit, draw us deep into the mysteries of your word this year? Give us an increasing affection for those who are around us in the body of Christ. Bring a holy violence into our life towards idolatry. Let us not put up with it anymore. And give to us your precepts, the beauty of your providence, and ultimately, Lord, the victory of your Son. The joy that is His would be ours in Him. Father, hear this prayer. And to the degree that every soul in this room needs to hear it, and we as your people collectively, would you answer it by the power of the Spirit. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.